Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So Genesis chapter 18, starting at verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if, there, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Our second reading is from Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 6, which can be found on page 1169. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Well, good evening. Thank you, Steffi, for reading for us. Let me encourage you to uh, keep your Bibles open at the first of those two readings. That's page 18 
um, and Genesis 18, verse 16. Um, we're going to be looking at that over the next few minutes. Um, and whenever we look at God's word, it's right that we pray and ask for his help. So let me lead us in a prayer now. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word this evening, we pray that you would show us yourself, show us your character, your beauty, and teach us to trust you and to love you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, in the film, Master and Commander, a film I like so much, I used to have two copies of it on DVD, just the one now. Uh, but in this film, it follows the uh, story of a uh, crew on HMS Surprise, which, is, which was a British uh, naval ship uh, during the wars with Napoleon, um, 1800s or so. And the two main characters in this film are the captain of the ship, played by Russell Crowe, and his very good friend, uh, the doctor on the ship. So the captain and the doctor. And as the film goes on, there's something that keeps recurring. Um, and that's that the captain has made this promise to the doctor, but again and again he fails to keep it. Each time the captain has to explain to his disappointed friend that all of his promises are subject to the requirements of the service, meaning the Navy, subject to the requirements of the service. Every time the doctor expects his friend, the captain, to finally keep his promise, he's told, oh, I can't keep that promise because all of my promises are subject to the requirements of the service. And with each disappointment, you see the doctor's trust in his friend and in his character slowly crumbling away until he thinks, can I trust you to ever keep your promises when you're willing to set them to one side in the pursuit of some higher commitment, when they're subject to the requirements of the service? That kind of dynamic destroys trust in a relationship. When it comes down to it, when it really comes down to it, is God absolutely committed to his promises? Or might he, might he push them to one side in the pursuit of some other priority? That's the big question that is here in the second half of Genesis chapter 18. And it's so important because the whole point of Genesis is to urge us to put our trust in God and trust him to keep his promises. The whole point is that we should trust him, to have faith in him. But it's impossible to have trust in one whose character we doubt. As Abraham stands on a hill with the Lord overlooking the city of Sodom, the Lord tells him that he's going to destroy the city because of its sin. And it's though Adam looks at the Lord and then looks back at the city and looks back at the Lord and goes, hang on a minute, what if there are righteous people in there? Would he sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Are you so determined to destroy your enemies that you'll push aside the promises that you've made to your people to do so? Because I didn't think you were that kind of God. And if you're now telling me that you're, that's the sort of God you are who will sweep away the righteous with the wicked, how am I to know that one day you won't do the same with me? You see, it's impossible to have faith in one whose character we doubt. These verses are here to reassure us of the character of God and that his promises will never be set to one side. Uh, this uh, passage breaks down into two sections. Uh, the first is verse 16 to 22. And in these verses, we're looking at the Lord speaking to Abraham. The Lord speaks to Abraham, verses 16 to 22. We pick up the story in verse 16. Abraham and Sarah have just been visited by three men. Two of them are angels. One of them is the Lord somehow appearing physically. And they've just had this visit. Now these men are, are leaving, and Abraham is seeing them off. He's about to wave them goodbye. That's in verse 16. Take a look. When the men got up to leave... They looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. 
Then we get kind of a little window into what the Lord is thinking because in verse 17, it's as though we, we hear what God is saying to himself. Verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? God, who is about to destroy the city of Sodom in chapter 19, decides to tell Abraham what he's going to do beforehand. Why? Why does he bother to tell Abraham beforehand? Why not just get on with it? The next two verses tell us why. It's because God wants to build through Abraham a nation of people who know they can trust the Lord. I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do, says the Lord. Because, take a look down at verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Abraham's important because he's the head of this family that God has chosen and made promises to. Back in chapter 12, God promised Abraham that he'd make him and his descendants into a great nation with their own land, living under God's blessing, and that through them, God would bless all nations. For that to happen, God needs that nation to know and trust him. And so God says, I'm going to tell Abraham, the head of this family, what I'm going to do for, verse 19, I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Abraham needs to know he can trust the Lord and his character so that he can teach his family to trust the Lord and his character. They will only do what is right and just if they know that they worship one who is right and just. It is impossible to have faith in one whose character we doubt, and so the Lord is seeking to put his character beyond doubt. That's why he lets Abraham in on what he's about to do and creates the opportunity for Abraham to question him. It's as this nation, descended from Abraham, continues to trust in God uh, that's, uh, take a look at the end of verse 19, at uh, the end of verse 19, that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Namely, that he would bless him and through him bless all nations. In short, the Lord tells Abraham what he's about to do because he wants to bring blessings. That will only happen as people trust in God, so God wants them to see that they can, that they can trust in him. Now, we just need to pause there for a moment to see what this means for us, I think, as a church family at this point. What we've already seen is that God is teaching this man that he can trust him so that he will teach and direct his children and his household to trust him so that they will be blessed. First of all, God wants to bless. Is that how you think of him? He's a God who is seeking to bless his people. All of this is that so that God can bring about his promised blessings to Abraham and his descendants. Secondly, if you're a parent here, God wants you to be a root for this blessing to come to your children as you teach and direct them to keep the way of the Lord. We can't make our kids Christians. But there's so much that we can do to show them what he's like and that he can be trusted. In fact, there is no way you can bless your children more than to teach them to trust the Lord. When you and I are gone, there is one thing we can leave them that will be more precious than a good upbringing or opportunities in life or money or property or happy memories, even of lovely holidays. There is nothing we can leave them so precious as a living faith with the Lord and all the blessings that come with being one of his people. 
So day by day, teach your kids to get to know the Lord through his word and to pray to him. Thirdly, this really applies to all of us that are Christians, whoever you are, because today the nation descended from Abraham isn't a biological one, but a spiritual one. All Christians are part of Abraham's family by faith. And so if you're a Christian here tonight, God wants you to be a root of this blessing to others. He's revealed himself, his character, his trustworthiness to you so that you can bring blessing to others by making him known. You can do that here in countless ways. There are so many things going on here in which you could serve, right from the zero-year-olds in creche to the many more-year-olds in Friday Club. Uh, Look for ways that you can serve and make the Lord known. And you can do that, of course, as you seek to make him known to those outside the church family, those you know, those you neighbor. Well, that's uh, that's what the Lord is is thinking. Uh, Let's have a look at what he actually says. Look down at verse 20. Verse 20. Then the Lord said... The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now something we might be wondering as we read those verses is why God speaks about needing to go down and see and says, then I will know. Surely if he's God, he sees and he knows everything. Well, of course that's right, he does. But what's going on here is that God sometimes steps down to a human level and speaks in ways that help us to understand. So if I'm putting a child uh, down to bed at night and they want to know there aren't any monsters in the room, I might look under the bed and go, there aren't any monsters under the bed? And then open the wardrobe, there aren't any monsters in the wardrobe? Now, if I'm doing that, I I already knew there weren't monsters in the wardrobe. I'm not actually checking. Uh, You'll be pleased to hear, but... uh, but I want the child to know that I know. God already knows the extent of Sodom's sin, but he stoops down to Abraham's level and speaks to him like this because he wants Abraham and us with him to know that he knows. I'm going down to Sodom, I'll look, I'll know. And so when you see me judge the city, you can be sure that I'm basing my judgment on full and accurate info. Again, it's about reassuring us of the character of God. He doesn't judge on the basis of partial or inaccurate information. He sees, he knows his judgments are fair. The other thing we see from what the Lord says is that when evil is done, God hears the outcry from those evils, even when no one else does. Do you see that in verse 20? The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. Verse 21, the outcry that has reached me. It's like in Genesis chapter four where Cain took his brother Abel to a field where he thought that no one could see them and then he murdered his brother. And the Lord said to him, to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The Lord sees every sin. He hears the cry of every victim and it grieves him. Verse 20, their sin is so grievous. The musician Jack Johnson in one of his songs sings these lyrics. Why don't the newscasters cry when they read about people who die? At least they could be decent enough to put just a tear in their eye. Of course, he's not having a go at newscasters. What he's saying is there's something deeply wrong with each of us when we're able to look at evil going on in the world, whether through our TV screens or any other way, and it doesn't grieve us. And we yawn and flick the channel. 
Doesn't it trouble you that you're able to do that? It troubles me. Wouldn't it trouble you more if God was like that? If he yawned it even and flicked the channel? And then there's all the evil in the world that we never even hear about because it doesn't make the headlines. Thankfully, God does hear the outcry from every sin, every act of evil, and he doesn't flick the channel. It grieves him deeply. Every evil reaches his ears and cries out for justice. He is a God of justice. The cry goes up and his judgment must come down. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If, it not, if not, I will know. But if it is, I will bring justice. So God sends off the two angels that are with him and they go down to see the condition of Sodom for themselves. Verse 22, the men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And now with just the two of them there, Abraham turns to question the Lord. And this is the second part of our passage tonight. Verses 23 to 33, Abraham questions the Lord. What Abraham says in these next few verses stand right at the heart of this passage. Follow along with me from verse 23. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Do you see those two questions at the start and the end of Abraham's little speech there? Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And will not the judge of all the earth do right? You see, this is all about the character of the Lord. What sort of God are you? If there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you really sweep it away? Are you so bent on destroying your enemies that you might consider the righteous as collateral damage? Is this the higher ambition for which you might set aside your promises to the righteous? Something that has made the headlines in the last couple of weeks is what's going on in East Ghouta, just outside Damascus in Syria. President Assad is fighting to regain control of Syria from his enemies, but they still uh, control a highly populated area called East Ghouta, just on the doorstep of the capital. And over recent weeks, we've seen on our TV screens that hundreds and hundreds of his own people have been killed as he's bombarded East Ghouta to try and destroy his enemies. In one week, he killed 500 of his people. 500 of his own people. Now, I can't imagine that President Assad would be trying to kill his own people. I can't see that there would be any strategic advantage for him in doing that. But here's the chilling thing. He's willing to. He's willing to kill his own people in order to destroy his enemies. He's so bent on destroying his own enemies that he's willing to consider his own people as collateral damage, expendable. They are to him an acceptable loss. Can you imagine living under a tyrant like that? Spending your days staring nervously up at the sky looking for helicopters or planes that might be coming to bomb you. 
spending your nights trying to sleep and wondering whether you'll wake in the morning. What an awful way to exist under a tyrant who considers you disposable. Abraham looks at God as though to say, tell me you're not like that. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous along with the wicked. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the emphatic reply of the following verses is that God is not like that. And he will do right. And he will never set aside his promises in the pursuit of some other goal. Take a look at verse 26. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for for their sake. But how many righteous people would it take for, for the Lord to spare the city? Abraham says, let's take five from that number, Lord. He replies, verse 28, if I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. What about 40, Lord? For the sake of 40, I will not destroy it. How about 30? I will not do it if I find 30 there. 20, Lord? For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. 10? For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And by that stage, the point has been made. God will not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Such that if Abraham had gone on to ask, what about one? What if there were just one righteous person in the city? The answer would have been just the same. For the sake of one, I will not destroy it. To him, no one is expendable. No one is an acceptable loss. When you look at the Lord, you can be certain of this. The judge of all the earth will do right. But the thing is, that cuts both ways. That statement sounds different depending on who's hearing it. It reassures the righteous, but it warns the wicked. The judge of all the earth will do right. But this chapter particularly focuses on reassuring. All this is intended to reassure Abraham and the righteous of the character of God, that he can be trusted, that he won't sweep away the righteous in his judgment of the wicked. But how do you and I know that God will find us righteous and that this chapter is for us meant to be a reassurance rather than a warning? Well, to be righteous simply means to be right with God, to have all of our wrongdoing uh, that we've done uh, dealt with so that there is no longer anything that is crying out about us to God to receive judgment. The question, of course, is well, how do we get righteous? How do we get our wrongdoing dealt with? The same way that Abraham did. And this is where we come to our second reading for this evening. But stick a service tree or something in Genesis where you've got it there and turn to Galatians chapter three, which is on page 1,169. Page 1169. Galatians chapter three. And I'll just uh, read from verse six, Galatians three, verse six. We're asking, how did Abraham get righteous? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify. That word literally means make righteous. The scripture foresaw that God would make righteous the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham 
All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, you get righteous not by doing something, but by believing something, by faith. But it's not just any kind of faith that makes us right with God. It's not just kind of being a person of faith. If you heard people say that, I'm a person of faith, I have faith. What do you have faith in? I don't know, but I'm a person of faith. It's not just that kind of faith that we're talking about. It's a specific faith. Romans chapter three, verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It has to be faith in Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because the judge of all the earth will do right. He has to punish wrongdoing. It cries out to him for justice. The cry goes up and his punishment must come down. But if you believe and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, then the punishment for your sins thundered down on him at the cross. In love, he spread his arms on that cross to receive the unimaginable weight of God's punishment for all, of, all the sins that we've, we deserve punishment for. He died to deal with our wrongdoing so that we could walk free. And that's why it's only faith in him that can make us righteous. Without that kind of faith, no one is righteous. No one is righteous by living a sufficiently moral life. There is no chance of being right with God because we've done right by God. If that were the only way to be right with God, then God would look down on Sodom and indeed he would look down on Sheffield and say, forget 50 or 45 or 40 or 30 or 20 or even 10. Romans chapter three, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. But there is one hope, one certain way to be right with God through faith in Jesus. And this is enormously good news because it means anyone can be right with God and enjoy the magnificent blessings of being one of his people. If you've walked into this building tonight knowing you're not right with God, you can walk out knowing that you are. You don't have to be a particular type of person or to have certain qualifications or gifts or be able to, uh, or to be from a particular background or put in a certain number of hours. You simply have to trust in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and God declares you right with him. There and then, just as he did with Abraham. Christianity is about a free gift God offers to all who will trust in Jesus. If that's you, if you see him there hanging on the cross and you know that that is for you, that you trust in him, then you're right with God. And the reassurance of this chapter is for you. One day, the judge of all the earth will judge all the earth. And he wants you to know beforehand that you can trust him to do right. You have no need to fear that God's judgment will ever fall on you because he will never sweep away the righteous with the wicked. He's promised you blessing. He won't give you judgment. You are precious to him. You matter. And he will not overlook you or hold your life cheaply. You are safe with him. Isn't that a relief to live under a God like that? Genesis chapter 18 again. Turn back if you've still got a finger in there. Or... Genesis chapter 18, verse 33. At the last verse of that chapter, it says, 
when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. In, uh, what time is it? In, I guess, an hour or so, I'll return home. Uh, And when I get in, I'll uh, put my coat on the hook, I'll head upstairs, flick on the electric blanket. I like my creature comforts. Um, I'll brush my teeth, I'll uh, I'll get into bed and read probably for a few minutes. Then I'll probably remember that I was supposed to put the bins out every week, I do that. Um, I'll just do it in the morning. And uh, when I'm ready, I'll, um, I'll, I'll turn off the light. I'll slip down under my duvet, put my head on my pillow, and I'll sleep peacefully through the night, as long as my kids let me. Um, It's all rather different to how the poor people of Guta will sleep tonight. Um, When you get home tonight, uh, when you put your head on your pillow, uh, remember this, that the reason you can sleep in peace tonight is not so much because you're in Sheffield rather than East Guto, but because you're in Jesus. Be thankful for the city you live in, but more so for the saviour you trust in. He is your security and your peace, tonight and forever. God has promised his people blessing, and we need never fear that he will push his promises to one side will revise them in the light of changing requirements. Abraham returned home reassured of the character of the Lord. So can you. So can I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful we can trust you and your promises. And we're so grateful you've made a way for us to be right with you through faith in Jesus. Thank you that all our wrongdoing is dealt with and your promised blessings are sure. Thank you that the judge of all the earth will do right. Father, if any of us have hearts that are unsure that we can trust you or are fearful about the future, Please reassure us of your love and faithfulness most clearly displayed on the cross and send us home tonight rejoicing that though the outcry from our sins has gone up to you, the judgment has already come down on Jesus. And for that, may you receive glory now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.